is in Theory King Sports Podcast coming right up. I'm your host, Jesse Cook, alongside my co-host, Chile Adele, and we have an absolutely fantastically fun show ahead. I mean, I know every show is fun, but let's just hop into it with women's basketball. Chile, what happened last night in that Georgia Tech game? Yeah, we didn't really have like, I don't know. We always talk about good stuff to start off the show sometimes, but this time it's not so much good news. Syracuse lost by 13 against Georgia Tech yesterday. Uh, You know, we talk about this team and sometimes they play really well, but other times they make a lot of just small mistakes that end up adding up over time. Uh, You can't turn over the ball 17 times, you know. Syracuse actually didn't shoot badly. I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, they had a higher shooting percentage than Georgia Tech. If you look at the shooting percentage, field goal percentage, it's a 53.7 to 49.1. And they outshot Georgia Tech from the three-point from beyond the arc, uh, 45.5% to 28.6. So, I mean, Syracuse did not shoot bad. They were nearly shooting 50% in both of those major categories, right? But small things, uh, not rebounding enough. You see the rebounds. Uh, Georgia Tech out-rebounded Syracuse 33 to 23. And just the turnovers. The turnovers have been killer. We watched in the one game where Tiana Mangakahia could not beat that press right? And it ended up costing the team. In the end, you have to be smart with the ball. And that did Syracuse in yesterday. Yeah. I mean, look, they had, as with every game this this past week, they had good performances from Camilla Cardoso and Priscilla Williams. Priscilla Williams, by the way, the, the freshman has been absolutely going off for this team. Nice. So that is something really good to look to look forward to for future games. But as you said, you can't turn the ball over that many times and expect to come out with the win. They had other great games earlier in the week against Notre Dame and Pitt, where even their bench players showed up really well. I mean, Emily Angsler was good in every game, but she hit 12 points in that first game of the week. She had a double-double, 12 points, 13 rebounds, with another three assists, three steals, and three blocks, all coming off the bench. Um, Mava Dejalbi Tabdi, 17 points in that Pitt game. We really thought great things. She was excellent in that game. I mean, she's one where she's been getting minutes here and there. We haven't really seen an offensive outburst from her. Uh, The game against Pitt was, yeah, 17 points. Oh, my goodness. Like, that came out of nowhere. And I was so happy to see her uh, step up uh, in that game and and help really propel this Syracuse team and put them over over the hump. Way over the hump. They won by 23 I mean, uh, just absolutely great performances throughout the week from some of these players. I mean, we talk about the loss against Georgia Tech, but I mean, overall, this was a good week, two and one. Um, you can't you can't complain about everything. Sometimes you just it just happens. Camilla Cardoso, eighteen points against Georgia Tech. We should mention that uh, ACC Freshman of the Week, two weeks in a row. Yeah, she has been everything that this team could have expected of her and more. She's been fantastic. That Pitt game, it all was great. It also foreshadows a win later this week when they play Pitt. But the second game of the week against Notre Dame, we saw what we've been really waiting to see from Tiana Mangakahia for a while, where she almost had a triple-double, 19 points, 9 rebounds, 11 assists, not to mention she had a steal as well. That was a fantastic showing for this team. That was really good to see, and it was really very refreshing because of what happened last week where they lost two big games to Louisville and Clemson and now they came back really strong and of course now we have to talk about them ending the week well we already talked about them ending the week so sourly against Georgia Tech but now going into Wake Forest and going into the Wake Forest game and the Pitt game there's a lot to be proud of and a lot to look forward to although Wake Forest is going to be a tough team yeah I mean if you look at some of the the opponents that they've had to play. I mean, they've been able to, to keep their, their hold their own uh, as they've progressed through the season. If you look at some of the teams that they, they beat, they beat UNC once they hung in with them, lost to them by three in overtime the second time. Of course, Syracuse has had their own bouts with uh, UNC as the season has progressed. Um, teams that they, that they played throughout the season, uh, they beat Florida State. Uh, they only lost to Louisville by two points. That's better than how Syracuse lost to them 
So, I mean, obviously this is a team that's going to show up. They're going to come to play. And Syracuse has to be ready. You know, uh, I feel like sometimes they show up to to the court and they're not ready. I feel like sometimes something's just off. And you can't do that against teams who are hungry, good teams uh, like Louisville, like Georgia Tech, and even like Wake Forest, you know. And even you look at teams like UNC, you know, and we expected them to beat them that first time. They got beat. Uh, this is a team that, of course, fights uh, this Wake Forest team. And Syracuse has to be ready, simply. Yeah, you can't have turnovers. You can't have, what, 17 turnovers they had uh, last night. That can't happen. Has to be, I mean, I'm not saying mistakes aren't going to happen, but you have to play as clean as a game as you can. Well, that 17 is a number that we're going to, that we're just going to keep coming back to, not just this week, but as the season goes along, because that is the landmark for a poor performance from the entire team. Well, we can't pin that on any one player because generally the players were fairly good. It's just when you get careless with the ball, bad things are bound to happen and Wake Forest is a team where you can't afford to make those mistakes. Pitt, maybe that's a little different. Pitt, their last game was in Syracuse. They The 80-57 Syracuse win back on January 28th, just a few days ago. And their only player to crack 10 points was Dacianette Harris, who we were talking about before the game. Other than her, they, they don't have a whole lot of weapons to worry about. Wake Forest is completely different, on the other hand, where they've got Christina Mora, Ivana Rocca, Jewel Spear, and a few others. So that that is a game that you should be worried about if you're a Syracuse fan. Pitt, not so much. Now, the men, the men, on the other hand, their week was, it was one game, but it was lots of fun, more fun than that Georgia Tech game for the women where the men, they won 76-73 over NC State after trailing by 10 points at at one point in the game. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at this game, you had five players with 10 points or more. Uh, Garrier with 10. He had 10 rebounds as well. Alan Griffin had 19 points. He also had uh, six rebounds. Uh, Dolezal had 11, and he had eight rebounds, six assists. I mean, Buddy Beheim, of course, 17 points. What a great game from him. He played 40 minutes. Kadari Richmond off the bench also uh, with 14 points. I love Kadari Richmond. He he has been a very good uh, uh, player on this team. He is he's shown up to work and he's he's produced on the on the floor. Now the one person I am worried about still, and we talk about him all the time, is Joe Girard. More than five points. This was supposed to be the team's sharpshooter. Listen, we won this game by three points. Okay, we won. A win is a win. But you start to worry. At, we stand here right now. We're, we're, we're here at, doing this episode on Wednesday, February 3rd. Uh, and about a month and a half from now, uh, if you don't think the time flies, the time flies like that. We're going to be talking about uh, March Madness, right? Say Syracuse makes it into the tournament. I think right now, and I want to like the first four out, which we'll call it uh, next four out. Uh, all the bracketologists do all the bracketology stuff, but here we are with this team who seems to be firing for the most part on all cylinders in most of these cases, right? But you just have this one, you have this one, what's the correct word for it? You have this one liability, yes, yes. One liability and Joe Girard. And, you know, I, I just don't know what it's going to take to fix this problem. I've gone with the whole philosophy. Just let them keep shooting. Let, just let them keep shooting. How long are we going to do this? You know, I try to give players the benefit of the doubt, especially in college. I, I met a Boston sports writer, Dan Shaughnessy, a little over a year ago. And he, he gave this whole talk at a local library about how he doesn't try to judge college athletes too harshly because, I mean, Chile, we know it, it, it's a lot. Those decisions on the court, on the field, especially when you're our age, it, it's a lot. It can be overwhelming, and you can't put too much pressure on people who are just a couple years over being kids. But Joe Girard, it, week in, week out, it's not just decision-making. It's that something is mechanically wrong with him. There's something that he needs to fix and where he's running out of time for that to be fixed. He needs to work with Coach Beheim more to get that fixed. But until then, 
you've got guys like Jesse Edwards, Kadari Richmond, Robert Braswell on the bench, and we've seen from Richmond that he can take the ball up. He's listed as a forward on ESPN, but we've seen him play the point guard role, play the shooting guard role. There comes a time when you can't be starting guys like Gerard, who are, as we said, they're liabilities on the court. This isn't to say that Gerard is an unskilled player because he is. It's just that his mechanics are off right now. He's not what he was last year. There's something wrong with the way he's playing that that is a physical fix. He's hit a slump, and unfortunately, that slump is costing this team pretty heavy minutes in games. Yeah, I mean, it may be time to put in uh, Kadari Richmond in that role. Of course, you like you said, he's not a natural guard. He's a forward. But, I mean, when when push comes to shove, you get you got to end up doing something here. Uh, you can't just look at this problem and be like, okay, we're winning games, so uh, this isn't something that we should worry about. Um, even at that, this is a 7-6 NC State team. They're not like this isn't like Syracuse went and beat the number one team in the country with Joe Girard shooting like this. Against good teams in March Madness, you will get beat. Against hungry teams who may not even be as good and a performance like that from your so-called sharpshooter, you will get beat. So this is the moment in which Jim Beheim has to, to say something here. He's got to make a move. Uh, Joe Girard, if anything, at least like try and sit him out like one game something has to happen there has to be consequences for this prolonged slump that joe gerard is in you know i watch baseball of course it's my favorite sport in the whole wide world if the player is not hitting you're not going to just uh, at a certain point the manager is not going to just keep him in there and just keep on having him hit for the 100, 162 game season like at one point you're going to have to get benched for a day or even more than a day. Like yeah. this can't keep happening. And if somebody's going to step up and do better, maybe Joe Girard won't have a, a starting role on this team going forward. If Kadari Richmond can step into that role and start shooting like a madman. But until that happens, I haven't seen it from Joe Girard to, to keep, to keep him in that starting lineup. Now, some good stuff that we have seen from, fellow starters occurred in that NC State game where first of all Quincy Garrier though he fouled out he recorded yet another double double 10 points 10 boards Alan Griffin played fantastic as well 19 points six rebounds four steals and three blocks Marek Dolajai as we see week in week out he knows what he's doing 11 points and he dishes the ball like nobody's business and Buddy Bayheim, who we were just gushing about earlier in the episode. He was fantastic. 17 points, or not to mention 14 points off the bench for for everyone's favorite freshman, Kadari Richmond. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just look at this. This is this is absolutely what you want to see. Syracuse shot uh, 46% from the field. Uh, they shot almost 40% from uh, beyond the arc. Uh, way better numbers than the slightly better numbers on the field goal percentage, but way better 12 points better than one NC State shot. Uh, they were able to hold uh, Manny Bates, even though he had a pretty big yeah. night, were able to contain him. They got some other players to foul out too down the stretch. Uh, this was this was an important win for, for Syracuse and a, a very good win. Uh, they were down at half, you know, they were down 47 38, they were down nine, but they they found a way to come back in the second half. And they knew how to to play down the stretch and not squander the game away as they started to fight back. And those were the parallels in which we saw that were a little bit different with the women in which they had a really good third quarter coming out of being down against uh, Georgia Tech yesterday, but they couldn't finish it off in the fourth quarter. Syracuse found a way to control NC State that whole second half. And then when it was really close, they found a way to, to eke out with the win. Yeah. Now, later this week, Syracuse will be, be will be playing a couple of tough opponents in Clemson and, again, NC State. NC State, we know, is a beatable team because, well, because we just beat them. And this time, it will be on the road, right? They will be yes. in North cool. Carolina. So we'll that proud. will be a, a difference maker. There aren't fans there, but the road trip can take a toll on anyone. Plus, 
we already know that this is a competitive team. Clemson is a game I'm more worried about. So Clemson, we, we know what happened in the NC State game. We know that Manny Bates played really well. We know that Jericho Helms was a star with 24 points. But Clemson, they're, while their offense is nowhere near being as good as Syracuse, their defense has been fantastic this year. And you know that because when you look at their stats, their leading scorer averages only 12.3 points per game. No one else on the team averages above 10 points. That's how you know that their defense is fantastic because they're 11 and five. They are winning this way. They're winning with a low, low, low scoring offense. So Syracuse, they need to bulk up on their rebounding game and they need to, they need to figure out a way to reduce their turnovers because that will cost them immensely against a team like Clemson. I think that means, as we've been saying, fewer minutes for Joe Girard. And I think we see a little more from their bench players because as good as Alan Griffin and Quincy Garrier and Dolajai have been, they do turn the ball over a fair amount. That is something that we have not seen the freshmen do a whole lot. Maybe it's because they don't get the ball as much, but it's something that you're going to have to try against an experimental team like Clemson. Yeah, I mean, this is a Clemson team that just knows how to play good defense. They know how to get turnovers. You know, you see the, their top four players in steals have 22, 16, 14, and 10. Uh, as a team, they have 108 steals that so far to date through 15 games. You see some of their players, uh, Amir Sims, he has 10 blocks already this season. Uh, also, this season, Jonathan Bayer has 10 blocks himself. Uh, they have 44 in the season total. That's through 15 games. This is absolutely wild, this defensive team. Uh, of course, like you mentioned, they don't score a lot. Uh, of course, Sims is their top player in points. Amir Sims, he only has 12.3 uh, points per game. Um, this is a team that's going to try and do you in defensively. You look at some of their uh, past games here. Uh, they actually beat Louisville, who Syracuse was supposed to play uh, tonight, but that game got postponed due to some uh, COVID uh, tests, I'm assuming, in, uh, in Louisville. So that game won't be happening. But if you look at some of the top teams they beat, they beat Florida State, who's ranked 16 by 10 points. You know, they came within – Syracuse beat Virginia Tech. Uh, Clemson became, came within six points of beating them. Uh, and Clemson also beat back on December 12th. Uh, Alabama at the time it was number nine, beat them 64 to 56. You know, they play this, this great defensive ball game. That's going to make it really tough on the orange. Now ESPN, their predictor gives Syracuse a slight edge. I think they're favored by like 2.8%, but that's not a very forgiving margin there. This this defense that you're talking about, right? It 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 shows in all their games. They don't score a lot. I I can't find like there was like there's maybe like two games here where they're like two three games out of like their 15 in which they scored more than 70 80 points. Like most of these games, they're like 50 61 53, and the only time where they let teams get away is if. The only time where they start losing the teams is if their defense is off and they start allowing 70, 80 points. If Syracuse keeps, if Syracuse doesn't start scoring against this team, like if they, if they get held down defensively, they start turning over the ball, getting a lot of blocks, a lot of steals from Clemson. They're not going to win because Clemson knows how to keep those tight games and they know how to win those tight games and they know how to win those low scoring games. Here's where Joe Girard can really, you know, earn his bread because Clemson is going to make Syracuse take outside shots. Joe Girard, he's the three-point shooter. It's him and Bayheim, and occasionally you see it from Griffin or some of the freshmen. Mm -hmm. Joe Girard gets out there and he does what he did last year, does what he's supposed to do. He starts hitting threes. This game is over. I mean, I know I like to say that, you know, Quincy Garrier – or sorry, Mass I'm from Massachusetts. The town is Quincy. He's Quincy. Quincy Garrier. He gets a double-double. I think that's a pretty good indicator. But if Joe Girard can start knocking down threes like nobody's business, like he's supposed to, like clockwork, then that's it. Syracuse has won. 
because Clemson does not have a defense for that. They start if they have to start playing outside, if they have to start covering the three-point game, if they need to start covering the long-range game, that's going to leave so much room for Marek Dolajai to get inside, maybe make outside passes. It's going to leave so much room for Alan Griffin to get his offensive boards and dunk it. Quincy Garrier, the same deal. And Buddy Bayheim, Kadari Richmond, Joe Girard are going to be having a field day on the outside if they can be hitting threes. Mainly Joe Girard, because we know Bayheim. We know he's going to hit his threes. We know Richmond can can occasionally take it from near the three-point line. We know a few other players can, but Joe Girard is a difference maker. If he's working, everybody's working. So if he can if he can get this bread, if he can make the bacon, if he can make the three-point shots against a defensive team like Clemson, the Orange are going to be going home with a W. Yeah, I mean, this you're, you actually you absolutely hit it right on the nose with that one. Uh, Joe Girard, you know, I just talked about him possibly needing to be benched for his terrible performance throughout uh, the vast majority of the season. But you present that opportunity now where you see that defensive, uh, that where it's, uh, Clemson likes to have very defensive games, very low-scoring games. They allow a lot of three-point shots. Uh, my philosophy has always been let shooters shoot during a slump, let them shoot. This is the test. You screw up this time, and I don't want you to get another chance again, Joe Gerard. But here, here, I'll, I'll revise, I'll revise my uh criticism a little bit in my calls for him to be benched. If you can do it here, you've earned yourself another day, my friend, my friend Joe Gerard. You've earned I- yourself another day. If he can do it here, he's earned himself a starting job. Because if he proves that he has the ability to do that, then I don't think there's any reason to leave him out of the lineup. If there's a possibility of him popping off. Because while he has down games, he's not a spectacularly terrible player when he has a down game. He's just average, maybe a little below, which isn't bad enough to get him benched for a freshman. I mean, I can see that point. But, um, you know, the thing with him is this, I just feel as if he's got to perform. He's got to perform. He's at least, I think he's got to at least have like 10 points per night. If you look, this man is the three-point shooter. I mean, how how much do you need to get to 10 points? Like three main threes. You know, you look at all the shots that you take. You keep on missing uh all these shots you're taking all these shots like it can't happen and not every team is going to just let you shoot like that right there's going to be teams that yeah. play up on you and it's especially if he gets hot there's going to be teams that maybe even have like a double team on him uh on some of those shots this is going to keep on happening so this is going to be a test that Joe can can pass this test i believe he he deserves to live another day in terms of starting another game but i think that the pressure the pressure of the Syracuse fan base, the pressure of us, the pressure of the media is going to be on him, and uh, he's going to have to watch out. I like that we're the ones putting pressure on him. Us with our, what, eight followers on Twitter? <laughs> well, you know, that's eight loyal listeners. Yes, exactly. Two of them are right. us, but, you know, yeah, that's how it goes. We, we promote it. We, we get the brand out. We're the media. We're the ones putting pressure eventually. Oh. It's a very small portion of that pressure, but it's us. The media's job people. is to hold the people in power accountable. We are holding the people in Syracuse power accountable, I guess. It makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure it does make any sense. But uh, but I, we've talked a lot about basketball. We can move on to the probably 15 seconds of work we have to talk about hockey, where literally every game last week got postponed, and they're set to play the same opponents, although I'm fairly sure the RIT game tonight will get postponed. And Mercyhurst... That might that might happen now, now that they've had a week to deal with it. Probably problems within both organizations with, with COVID because yeah. that's how it's been. But, Julian, unless you have anything to add on hockey, I think we can move on to the three-minute drill. I mean, it's been – let me just add quickly. It's been a really tough uh, start to the second half of the season for this women's hockey team. I mean, we obviously, we talked with Sarah Thompson last week about um, about some of the play during the first half of the season and kind of being able to finish on a little bit of a high note towards the end, her getting her uh, first uh, collegiate goal, all that stuff. 
but you know, it's hard. It's hard with all this COVID and whatnot. And as much as we scrutinize some of these players and all these different teams for, for not being able to bring it uh, every game, it's hard to bring it every game, especially if you're not having everything in consistency, right? You have these yeah. two games that Syracuse played a couple weeks ago at this point. Now you were supposed to play this weekend. And like, that's a whole mental thing too. You gear up, you gear up, you're getting ready. It's like, no, COVID. So it's like now you have to try and rebound and regroup. Uh, you got RIT, I believe, coming from Rochester, going to Rochester. And then you have Mercyhurst uh, playing at home. They're coming. Mercyhurst is coming from Erie. Uh, but hopefully Syracuse can start getting some of these games, uh, stringing some of these games together because consistency is the only way where you build confidence. It's the only way where you build chemistry. Chemistry is important in sports. And Syracuse is women's ice hockey team, as well as all teams, a lot of teams around the country in terms of college and professional sport just need that right now. They need consistency to build chemistry. So here's hoping that that happens. I'm going to have to use your philosophy there for when, for when anything, you know, gets postponed or bad happens for, you know, the past year and the next year, all this good stuff, boom, COVID. We're supposed to have a normal senior of high school, boom. We're supposed <laughs> That's to your problem? COVID. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were we we're supposed to have a normal freshman year of college. Boom, COVID. All yep. these sports were supposed to happen. Boom, COVID. Exactly. That's good. I'm. We're gonna create a, a button for the show to to play <laughs> whenever there's a postponement. We don't even. We don't need to elaborate which team it's on. Just boom, COVID. Boom, COVID. And now, boom, three minute drill. <laughs> <laughs> good segue. Very good segue there. Thank you. Thank you. So. I'm st- for for a change. I'm going to start off first. Uh, there's a number of things I need to get ready because we had a bit of a change in venue and where where I am. Where you, usually I have a piano with me. Today that is not the case, and that will not be the case for the for the forthcoming weeks. As next week, Chile and I will both be back on campus, and you won't be hearing us talking over Zoom. You'll be hearing us talk in person. Uh, for legal purposes, I have to say we'll be masked up. So, <laughs> but uh, my my minute, the talk starts right now, and I'm going to talk about the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So nine days ago, last Tuesday, January 26th, they had their selection show. No members, first time in seven years that no members were selected. But it's the first time in over 50 years that no one was selected even by the veterans committee so no inductees for 2020 now there was no induction last summer so the 2019 class will be inducted this summer but no members being inducted is not a bad thing i think that's a good thing because not because there aren't deserving players on the ballot but because the process should be incredibly selective there's been a history over the past 30 years of too many players going in 2012 2007 2003 2002 1993 and 1990 are the only times in the last 30 years 30 classes that Fewer than three inductees made it. There are more teams now, but that doesn't change that a Hall of Famer should be above the rest of the best. They should be above the best of the best for their time in their league. You look at Hall of Famers like Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Vlad Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, Derek Jeter, and you, and etc. You see, they're very deserving, but and DH is like, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I have to say David Ortiz. By far the best at their position unlike guys like Edgar Martinez. So it needs to be more selective. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And we sometimes we get this thing based on who the national media builds up and hypes up, right, that, um, that they're automatically Hall of Fame worthy. Sometimes when we think of Hall of Fame, we think of our favorite players. We think of those on a national scale. Sometimes it is people like Ortiz and Jeter who are deserving in that spot. Other times it's people like A-Rod. A-Rod cheated like twice, you know. Why Why? Like, why would there be even the thought of people considering him uh, for the Hall of Fame? So I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, it's good that nobody got selected this year if the, if the committee truly believed it. All right, now Chile, you're up for your 60 seconds right now. All right. As we approach the Super Bowl, let's take some time to appreciate how much of a goat Tom Brady is. Many who come from my neck of the woods hate his guts, in part due to losing to the guy in the Super Bowl the first time and the Spygate scandal. 
But we got our revenge in 2018. We can't hate greatness forever. And Tom Brady defies, defines greatness. This will be his 10th Super Bowl against Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. What people said, or when people said that the Patriots system was what made him what he is, you can look at Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in Tampa to dispute that claim. Tom Brady's greatness is simply unmatched, and it's one of the greatest runs in all of American sport. When you think of Tiger, Serena, Yukon, Jordan, and the great dynasties of American sport, Tom Brady's right up there. It's about time the rest of the sporting world put some respect on the GOAT's name. The haters can't stay mad forever. And you're under time there, and I could, I could hear the pain in your voice as you had to praise Tom Brady. My 30 seconds start right now, and I live just down the road from Gillette Stadium. Tom Brady is the greatest thing to grace the earth in history. He is the GOAT by far. There needs to be respect on the thing. He won six Super Bowls. He almost had a perfect season and then lost to Eli, but we don't talk about that. Then he lost to Eli again. We don't talk about the Philly one either, but even that was a great game. He led the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, and now he's doing it again on a team that basically had nothing to start the year. He is the Buccaneers now. He's the GOAT. I love Tom Brady, even though he left me. And on that note, let's uh, let's let's move on to the Super Bowl more generally now. You've got uh, Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs. Uh, player, all those players, people like uh, Travis Kelsey and all that, going up against... The Buccaneers, filled with team players like Tom Brady and uh, Sean McCoy and all those guys coached by Bruce Arians. Tampa Bay will be playing the first ever Super Bowl home game. That is absolutely wild. I remember when a couple of years ago, and it was Minnesota trying to to have that trying to go into the because they were the u.s bank stadium was hosting the super bowl that year and everybody was like oh can the vikings host the first super bowl ever you know who stopped that the philadelphia eagles we absolutely destroyed them and then we won it on their turf but i digress from that point let's go back more on the super bowl tampa uh well, you know, this is the first year that, yeah, it's the first year that a team is playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. But this is also probably the only year where that won't make a difference because there's going to be reduced fans. It's not like you're going to have a packed stadium full of Buccaneers fans chanting Brady, Brady, Brady. It's going to be one fourth of a stadium, maybe half Buccaneers fans. And uh, it doesn't make a difference now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is. It, it, you are right about that, and um, you see this this Bucks team playing at home, and it's like, yeah, you, we like to get caught up in that fanfare, but we do forget that it is different this year due to the coronavirus. But I still think there's going to be a lot of a lot of Bucks fans there. I mean, the NFL is having 7,500 uh, nurses right who yeah. were fighting COVID, which was a good, great nod to them uh, having them get to to have a spot at the game. You know, these are people who have helped our country during what is uh, definitely the worst time we've had uh, since 9-11, one of the worst times we've had in our country's history, you know, and to have these frontline workers, to have these nurses and doctors get to, to enjoy what is one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, spectacles in American entertainment and American sport, you know, and that, that's a great nod to them. But uh, surely there's going to be a lot of Bucks fans there. I mean, the Chiefs are also a team that thrive off of having that home field advantage. They did have it all throughout the playoffs. So I, I do wonder if it's going to shake them up a little bit. It might, but we're looking, so we're looking at two fairly similarly similar quarterbacks as far as statistics. Now, Patrick Mahomes, obviously more mobile, more agile than Brady. Just, I mean, one thing, Tom Brady is slower than bricks in, in, in cement, but, <laughs> but Mahomes, it, he's a fast guy. He's agile. He had that leg injury a couple years ago, or actually last year. It didn't phase him at all. So if the Buccaneers D-line can rein him into the pocket, then you have a more equal game at quarterback where Patrick Mahomes, second in passing yards in the entire NFL, fourth in passing touchdowns, and he only threw six interceptions with a 
passing uh, completion percentage. That's fantastic. Tom Brady, very close to that. Brady, third in passing yards in the NFL with 4,633. Second in, in passing touchdowns with 40. And then 12 interceptions, though, with 65.7% completion percentage. And that has a lot to do with their different mentalities, where Tom Brady can just decide that a play is over as soon as as he snaps the ball. He'll see that there's no option, and he throws it away, but he's been a little careless with that, where he just then ends up throwing it just under the sideline where it's picked off. Patrick Mahomes can extend a play, and then after about five or six seconds of running around, he can get out of the pocket and throw it away instead of just hurling it from the start. So there, there is an edge to Mahomes there where his decisiveness, his actually lack of decisiveness to start a play hasn't cost him like Brady's decisiveness has. Now, Tom Brady, playoff Tom Brady, we know, we know, we know. He is a stud in the Super Bowl. He has literally never played a Super Bowl that was not close. The only one, the, the largest margin for a Super Bowl that Brady played in was Super Bowl 53, in which the Patriots won 13-3. to That is the only time in Tom Brady's career that he has played a Super Bowl that was decided by more than one score. Now, Mahomes last year had, one of, had the second greatest Super Bowl comeback of all time, coming up, coming back against the Niners with Jimmy G, and that was fantastic. So we both know that there are Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks that know how to perform in big games. So it's not just how the defenses compare, because Tampa Bay has a better defense. They're ranked seventh in passing and rushing defense, while the Chiefs are ranked 10th in both categories as well. So we, we have to talk about the, the, the ancillary characters on these teams. Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Clyde Edwards-Elair on the Bucs, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Ronald Jones. So... I don't have a distinct prediction for this game yet. I think I would give the edge to that Chiefs team, but the Bucks definitely have some great options for Brady to hit. I think watching these teams throughout the season, I remember getting to see the game that got put to due to COVID issues got moved to a Monday night against the Patriots uh, earlier in the season. Hmm. And uh, yeah, the Chiefs won that game, but the Chiefs did not look sharp in that game at all. This was back earlier in the season. I think that this is going to be a really good game. You know, I always say this about all the sports. Sometimes you can have the best record out of all all the teams in the league. I've said it about the Los Angeles Dodgers for years in baseball. You know, in general, a lot of these teams come into the playoffs with the best records, but it all depends on how hot you are going into the playoffs, right? I believe that the Bucs obviously had some big problems with not having a training camp, camp, not having any preseason games. Uh, Now they're coming in to – they came into that season. They started off very shaky, but they finished up strong in the regular season. In the playoffs, they've been getting better and better and better every week. The Chiefs also had a little bit of that Super Bowl high coming into the season after becoming the the champs, world champs, still the world champs until at least Sunday. But – you see that over time, the season, and they brought in some reinforcements, people like Le'Veon Bell, you know, uh, gelling together as a team again and, and getting hot as the right time as the playoffs are approaching. So I think this is going to be a really good game because you see, I think, I don't even know. I don't even know. I honestly don't have a solid prediction as to who's going to win the game, but these are two teams that are playing their best football of the season. Yeah. And I think and I think that is the key to a really good Super Bowl game. And regardless of who wins, I, I think Tom Brady could pull it out. You know, it's so hard for a team to win the Super Bowl two years in a row, you know. And when you have such a seasoned and experienced player like Tom, uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's a great quarterback too. Uh, Andy Reid, of course, he's he's been to the Super Bowl, I believe, three times. He's been what a seasoned coach he is, and you know we had we had him for 12, 13 seasons in Philadelphia, and we're glad to see him have success there in Kansas City. But this game, I, I feel it's going to be a really good game because, like I said, both teams are playing their best football at the same time, and when teams are hot, 
that always creates a good game. Yeah. Well, we are going to see good football. I don't think anyone's doubting that this will be a contentious game throughout, especially when uh, look at these quarterbacks. It could be 40 to 13 at halftime, and we would still think that whoever has the 13 still has a chance. Because Brady's come back from 25, Mahomes came back from 10, and actually, well, the two weeks before that, three weeks really, because the the Pro Bowl. But Mahomes came back from 24 points down in three minutes. We both know that this game can turn on a dime. So even if it's a distant game at any point, it's going to be entertaining because you can't write off either of these quarterbacks. You can't write off either of these offenses. Brady has was bare was a favorite in the division in the wild card round and that was it he was picked to lose in new orleans he was picked to lose by a lot in green bay a lot of people are picking him to lose now not just as a patriots fan but as someone who's been following football for his entire life you just can't write off tom brady at any point in a playoff game i had I had 12 years in a row of picking the correct Super Bowl winner and a couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. My streak ended last year because I picked (laughs) Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers over Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, so right now I'm conflicted on who to pick because I'm trying to build back my streak up again and I don't want to screw up. And sometimes – so many times that I've been right, I've gone against what the media and what everybody's saying. Like, you think of all the teams, you know, uh, all the games. Like, one one that really, really I remember was um, the Panthers and the Broncos. And everybody in the world was going, Cam Newton, Cam Newton. The Panthers are going to bring this home. They're going to win the Super Bowl. I said at that time, Peyton Manning was going to lead the Broncos to victory, and then he was going to retire after that. Why not end on the high note? And look exactly what happened. He won the Super Bowl, and then he retired. So my confidence ever since then uh, with my my first loss in my conscious football life uh, has crushed me. And I have no idea how to build it back up, but hopefully I will make a prediction and I will say something about it. Hopefully I can build the streak back up. It will take me until I'm 30 years old to, to get it back to where it was. But hey, you win some, you lose some, eh? Uh, I, I guess you don't lose some. You you lose one. <laughs> uh, so I can understand how you would be, you know, timid to make your pick. While, while I've said all this stuff about how you can never count Tom Brady out, Patrick Mahomes is probably the only quarterback who could who is going to be able to compare to what Brady has done. Because Mahomes, here's the big difference between him and other great quarterbacks. I mean, there are great mobile quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson last year was fantastic. The MVP, Michael Vick, was, was incredible. Cam Newton, during that 2015 season, was phenomenal. And, you know, all these guys have great arms, too. Patrick Mahomes, the big difference is he doesn't get emotional. His emotions do not dictate anything for him. Something can go wrong. You watch his expression. He doesn't even frown. He doesn't smile until the game is over or if he just scored a touchdown. He never frowns. He never pouts. He never gets in a mood because no matter how much time is left in the game, he's confident that he knows what to do and he can still turn it around for a win. The last time he lost by more than a couple scores was in college, right? For Texas Tech. That just shows you what a, a pensive guy he can be on the field, even in the worst of scenarios. So while I don't think you can ever count Tom Brady out, I have to give the edge to Patrick Mahomes because he just doesn't get phased. Tom Brady has gotten very emotional this year. We've seen it. He's constantly yelling at his teammates because either he did something wrong or they did something wrong or just – Whatever. Patrick Mahomes, you will never see that once in his career. I'm telling you now, he will never at any point scream at a teammate or at coaches or at anyone because he knows in the back of his mind that he can still win the game. 
at any point. I think, you know, I think I'm going to have to go against the grain of a lot of people here and go with the Buccaneers to win this game. Now, I'm not sure to score, but thinking about it now, Tom Brady, of course, this will be his 10th Super Bowl. He's, he's been there uh, nine times already. Uh, so he, he knows he knows what to expect. Um, and two, I think he he's going to have that motivation there to prove a lot of the haters wrong. You know, a lot of the people said, oh, it's Bill Belichick. He was the system. Tom Brady just fit in it. And, you know, you watched how both of the teams have splintered off after Tom Brady has left. And you've seen what happened to the Patriots this year. And you've seen what happened to Brady this year in Tampa. Now, granted, Brady has a lot of pieces down there in, in Tampa. I like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, you know, that's a, that's a star-studded team. And you see the Bucs this year, uh, great. They're starting, like I said, starting to get hot at the right time. I think that in combination with Tom Brady's hunger and a lot of the players' hunger on that team, you know, Tom Brady wants to solidify his greatness, right? Not the Patriots' greatness, not Bill Belichick's greatness. He wants to solidify his greatness. This is the ultimate test for him, right? And as old as he is, and I think he what? He's 43? 43. He said he wants to go to like 46. <laughs> it's like, this may be your only chance, man. He's still a pretty damn good quarterback, but you know, you never know what's going to happen once you reach that age. Once you start reaching that age, you know, you just don't know whether you're going to be able to continue the way you are. This may be his big shot to win it all. And I think he'll be very motivated to, to bring it home with that. Patrick Mahomes, like I said, great quarterback. Andy Reid's a great coach. Uh, Andy Reid's come close. He's been to the Super Bowl once with Philadelphia. He's come close a lot of NFC championship games when he was in Philadelphia, moves over to Kansas City on the doorstep a couple times, and then finally he's able to push through and win the Super Bowl championship. But I think at least this year, most teams that you'll see probably will win two Super Bowls in a three-year period if they really do play on the cards rate. Right. The Patriots did that, obviously, uh, a decent amount. But to win – two Super Bowls in a row, and especially in this, in this day and age, is so hard. And I just don't know if Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at this point, after what they've, after their great success last year, have the will to push through again. They're going to, they're going to try, but sometimes just down low, if you haven't, if you haven't had the thirst and the hunger for it all along, sometimes you can get a little bit complacent. You know, and I think I think that will slightly propel the Bucks over the Chiefs on Sunday's game. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be Patrick Mahomes. Chiefs are going to win this one. It's going to be a squeaker. It's going to be a close game. But I think I'm going to have to disagree with you. As much as you know, as a Patriots fan, this is a very conflicting game because I love Tom Brady, but. I also don't want him to be too, too happy with the Bucks. You know, Boston fans, we already – Mookie Betts, uh, when it went to the Dodgers, won the World Series. We're not happy about that, even though we love Mookie. Bruins, we love Zidane Chara. I, I think we would be okay if the Caps, Caps won the Cup because, you know, it wasn't Chara's decision to leave. But, you know, it's yeah. – I like Laviolette too, but Flyers got to get their own first. Bruins-Flyers is Friday. Tonight? Yeah, yeah, tonight. I'm, you know, I'm happy about the Celtics too. That was a good one last night. But you know, let, enough about Boston and Philly sports because Joel Embiid is definitely going to win the MVP. But, oh, yeah. but let let's talk about let's get to our our player of the week. Yeah, and we don't have a low this week, but uh, for our player of the week, high uh, had to go with Emily Angsler. I mean, Pitt. She had 12 points, uh, 13 rebounds. Uh, her point totals kind of uh, went off a little bit in the, in the two games after that, but still she had great performances all around. Uh, you look at uh, against Notre Dame, she had eight rebounds, you know, eight points. Uh, against uh, Georgia Tech, uh, she had three points. I mean, excuse me, not three points, but she had five points. She had seven rebounds. I mean, all around 
just being able to get marginal points out there, get have good performances, and also be um, also being able to have that role off the bench. You know, uh, and you look at of course going back on some of her previous performances in the weeks before. I mean, she was consistently putting up ten or more points on the off the bench. It's not going to happen all the time, obviously, but she's had great enough performances in which we have to, I believe, we have to give her that uh, that title of player of the week this week. And Jesse, you have our final word. And I'll fi- our final word in, the, in that vein is resurgence. Noun, an increase or revival after a period of little activity, popularity, or occurrence. We're focusing on that occurrence part because Q Sports, their winning was did not occur very often last week. They went, what, 1-5? And this week they went 3-1, and one, showing a resurgence of their skills, which was very refreshing to see. Yeah, you had games from uh, big resurgences in terms of Tiana Mangakahia and just Q's women's team in general, with the exception of that game against Georgia Tech, but very resurgent in the way they bounced back this week and, and caught together some wins. And with that, that will bring us to the ending of episode 10 of QCism. We got some more sports going on throughout the course of the week. Uh, you got uh, men playing uh, Clemson and NC State again. You have the women playing Wake Forest and Pitt again. And then hopefully women's hockey gets there on the ice. Uh, professional sport, we've got the Super Bowl, the big game. You know, NFL probably doesn't want me to say Super Bowl at this point copyright stuff all that stuff but i'm not sure they can sue us <laughs> they'll try but we got the big game on sunday hope you guys watch it i think it's going to be a great one and we will see you from the cold snowy city of syracuse the frozen tundra of van buren street yep next week we will be in person hopefully longer <laughs>